Hey y'all, this is Smoke Meat Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Pittman. Uh, Smoke Meat's brought to you by Joe's Underground in Augusta, Georgia, at the corner of 8th and Prod. Uh, down at the bottom of the Lamar building. Everybody go on down there once this quarantine thing's over and have a good old drink, have a good old party with Jeremy and the gang. There's such great folks, great food, great drinks. Just great people all around. Make you feel like home there. That's Joe's Underground, the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia. Today my guest is a comedian. He is a guitar player. Uh, he's even been on ambulance before. And he's making hand sanitizer. So y'all, this is such a great guy. You may have seen him on, on Moonshiners. Uh, named Killer Bees. Well, we're gonna get this thing kicked off. One of my one of my longtime heroes. Hi, man. How you doing today, Bees? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Brad? Man, if I was any better, I'd be twins. You know what? It's rumored that you are and don't realize it. There's a lot of folks <laughs> saying I look like Siamese twins man, now. Man, one time Brooks and Dunn's manager, I was in his office and on Music Row up in Nashville going off about something, some kind of rant, and he goes, Bees, you might be a comedy team and not even know it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that was good or bad. I just went, oh, okay. So I kind of calmed down and went, hmm. So, so there's that. Yeah. Well, I tell you, any time I've ever seen you or heard you, man, it's you made me laugh about as much as four or five people. Well, dude, I've had a lot of fun at it, Brad. I am. Um, my next time on stage, I am booked for July seventh at the uh, Grand Ole Opry. As a matter of fact. Oh man. And I will. Uh, and that performance will be the performance number one of my thirty ninth year of doing stand up. Man. So how cool is that, dude? That's cooler than the other side of my pillow right there. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, I, I started about right at 30 years ago, and I, I never really hit it hard and didn't didn't have the commitment to it to, to make it in the business a lot. But I, I remember the first place I ever did was the Comedy House Theater in Augusta. Yep. And I remember I'd walk in, and you had to go through the bar to get in, and I always remember seeing your picture up there on the wall. And I'm like, I've seen him before, man. I'm, I'm in a cool place. <laughs> well, that was a good little club, man. I had a ball there. Before it was the Comedy House, it was called the Punchline. Well, that that one's in Atlanta. No, they had a Punchline in Augusta as well. Oh, man, I didn't remember man, they, that one. They had one in Mobile, Alabama. They had a Punchline in Montgomery. Um, for people for, for people listen, listening to this wonderful podcast, Punchline Comedy Club chain out, out of Atlanta what we're talking about they were in savannah georgia columbia south carolina they were all over the place that was in the heyday brad that was in the heyday <laughs> before people could pick up the remote and see a comedian exactly you know? now now you know when i'm wanting to hit it harder and you know do things with it, it you can't sling a dead rabbit without hitting a comic dude i'm, I'm telling you i am telling you it, it'd be a tough time to be getting started in the business and i know a bunch of uh, new cats relatively new cats out there that are going to be great that are really good now but man it would be a tough thing to just now decide that you were going to be a stand-up comedian and that was going to be your vocation yeah you know it's uh it's uh it's tougher now than it was in my day so and and at the same time brad the guys these days have it made compared to my day <laughs> oh yeah, they're so, so so easy to promote now. It is, it is, but and it, but it waters down your promotion. Yeah, because because people 
with there's two there's a million comics out there two of them aren't any good i'm not going to name them <laughs> but uh but the promo now you make it up yourself yeah you know and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a high skill level so so the the uh, buyer has learned to beware if you will so uh so it's a, it's it's way different man and it's gonna continue to be different brad it's, it's weird to think about what in the heck it's going to be like trying to uh, make a living doing stand-up in the future especially in the foreseeable future with reduced capacity and uh, distancing between people seated at tables or in seats that's going to be a, that's going to be a tough one a close pack and you know there's a close packed group of people sitting close together all laughing as one so that each of those audience members is kind of anonymous um is the engine that fuels a live stand-up performance and when you spread that audience out and you reduce the number of people in there by half or three quarters as we're hearing in some cases that's going to be a tough set it seems like it's going to be hard to, to really do a bone crusher, high level um, performance like that. Just the physics of it yeah. kind of makes it's going to make that interesting. I'm not saying it can't be done because all us cats out there that have put the decades in have done far worse gigs than I'm pointing <laughs> out and have made them work. So, oh, yeah. but what I'm saying is, from my viewpoint, the ability to make a, a decent living that that's what i'm talking about most guys that have been around as long as me are doing door deals and stuff brad you know mm-hmm. you, know, you know that man we get oh, yeah. part of the of the ticket sales and so that's why it it it, it behooves you to invest in social media and promotional things and work it work the markets for years to get to that point to where you're able to make a really actually make a good living as a comedian but once again less butts in the seats buddy that's going to be less uh income for the club yada 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 so we'll see how that works yeah you see i've been kind of lucky through all this thing with with the level of comedy that i'm at this this 10 Ten people in a room thing has not affected me at all. As a matter of fact, I've almost <laughs> sold out two or three shows. <laughs> but no, you know, one, one thing that gets on my nerves with, with some of the new newer people in comedy is everybody's treating it like a competition. You know, don't really want to help the younger people. And I, I just can't understand that. I've got a couple of people who came to me and asked me to help them. And, and I, I love doing it. I love watching them grow and, and come into their own. Yeah, 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 and uh, a lot of guys helped me back in the day. You know, Drew Carey, Sinbad, a bunch of those cats that we all worked together, Foxworthy and all them. Um, we all were pretty good at sharing technique, you know, and lesson learned so somebody else doesn't do the same stupid mistake on stage. But I can dig and get it. I can identify with wondering about it with a sense of, competition because people are trying to get the coveted slots on stage man when i was coming up there weren't that many comedians Mm. 
now we have thousands and thousands of comics. And so stage time is harder and harder to get now. So, so it's, uh, and there's some really good guys coming up through the ranks. I'll take some of them out and get them to open for me and stuff like that. But, uh, it's really, uh, I, I don't know how they're going to go about really making money, you know, if, if, if they're limiting the size of the people that can come see you. Yeah. So that's, that's the only hurdle we got to get past next is letting enough people in the room that it's a, a worthwhile endeavor. Either that, that. Or just, either that or just sell more moonshine. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, how's that going? <laughs> I got to tell you what, man, my uh, piddling, teeny little character on Moonshiners, although it is a returning, returning, returning character, reoccurring character mm. for four seasons in a row, being on that show, Moonshiners, y'all, on Discovery Channel is an absolute hoot. I mean, that is the most fun. And I've done some cool stuff, Brad, in my in my years in showbiz, but that, good Lord, it, one, it intrigues me. Yeah. I mean, the the chemistry and the physics that are involved in the, and I quote, covert distillation of non-taxable artisan spirits <laughs> in a non-disclosed location, unquote, <laughs> is amazing. They, they, these, we view them as hillbillies, but these cats science the crap out of it the first time i was at a run of liquor the first time it was me and i wasn't even on the show yet i was just it, they had hit me up i was doing a show in bristol tennessee and digger hit me up on my uh, on my twitter feed mm-hmm. invited me to come see him so uh, and i had met him about 20 years earlier in uh, an elevator at opryland hotel in nashville I was doing shows in town. He gets on this elevator with a luggage cart full of cardboard boxes full of glass jars. I wonder what that was. Yeah, I know. I know, right? So that's how we met way back. But uh, didn't see each other forever and ever and ever. So anyway, the first batch of, oh, I'm, t- talk, I'm telling y'all how scientific they are. The first batch I ever witnessed, it was me and Digger and J.B. Raider who is, uh, J.B. was Popcorn Sutton's partner for ever and ever and ever. So we were doing a run of, allegedly, we were doing a run of cranberry moonshine. So I'm trying to be a good student. And, Brad, you know how we don't judge people. We've learned not to judge people. Yeah. But we judge people. So I'm out in the woods, man. I'm in the Smoky Mountains by a trout stream in bear season. And they're uh, overalled up, man, coon peckers in their hats, spit cups. So I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? So I wanted to be a good student. I wanted to, they were being nice enough to show me this stuff. And so I asked Digger, I go, because I didn't even know the terminology. I go, when you put the fruits or the vegetables and he immediately cut me off, and he goes, you mean the botanicals? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I mean the botanicals. 
And so then I had to take this water hose. We had like a garden hose. Mm. Had to take it upstream on this trout stream and put one end up there so they would have a gravity feed of cold water for the condenser. Mm. So I take this hose up, Brad, and I get back down to where they are, and there's a, a, a valve on their end of the hose. So I go to Digger. I go, what happens if too much cold water, and he cuts him off, he spits, and his cut was... <laughs> You mean thermal shock? I'm like, hell yes, I mean thermal shock. So eight minutes in, dude, I absolutely realized that uh, these guys are pure scientists. They are. They are bad to the bone. They look and act and talk hillbilly, but there is a bunch of knowledge in there, bunches and bunches. So that's what's cool to me is being around that. Plus there's moonshine. Exactly. That's what's cool. You know, I come from that stock. You know, my mom was born and raised in Avery County, Tennessee, Avery County, North Carolina. When you see? And uh, yeah, <laughs> everybody thinks, you know, all you gotta do is just get some get some fermented corn. You no, know, like I said, there's a lot to it. You can kill somebody. You don't do it right. Oh yeah, and and what is and what happens even more often is you ruin your whole batch. Yeah. You know, you can just scald it a little bit. You can have just one of your pipes in your steel system that you forgot to clean out. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to uh, to do it wrong. Yeah. And so it's um, really neat, really neat to be a part of that, man. And in the course of these uh, four seasons, it's fun that Digger and I, have reconnected, so uh, we've become pretty good friends, man. I get to see him and hang with him um, quite often. Mm-hmm. So, And let's not forget Mark. Mark is an absolute artisan. He, I've been to his house, man. I went in his house and looked in his garage. He has this, these um, refurbished, like, 1940s and 50s hot rods that he rebuilds, and he fabricates. He makes... Fenders. He did the dashboard. He was showing me one of them. The dashboard, I mean, with like the burl wood and the metal rings with the glass. I mean, he did all that. Man. So that's why that's why you see on the show, you see him doing all the steel work and all the soldering and stuff, man. He is a virtuoso. Man. I mean, he is super, super talented. Yeah, I remember seeing that that one episode where they had, had made that car with the oil slick and all that stuff on it, and that just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that was one of his cars. Sure is, man. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's preserved Although they history. did not put oil in it for that shot. Yeah, I think remember. they did Coca Cola in that one. If so, I yeah, they, right. they did something because they didn't want people to have to drive on oil. Yeah. And they're good people. That's something else, man. Mark and Digger are good people. Oh yeah. So um, I've not met Mark Rogers from the show. Now Mark Rogers is a is a uh, very interesting character. He's uh, He's a great distiller. You know, he, everybody else, when they're when their pot's cooking too hot or cooking too slow, they go over to the uh, gas tank and turn a knob. Mm-hmm. Mark Rogers cooks his moonshine using wood fire. And so he is so experienced that he can tell how many chunks of ember to rake out from under the pot or how many to push farther up under it to regulate his heat and you got to be way ahead of the curve to do that because that temperature change is a gradual thing so you got to um 
you got to see the signs and act in advance. So that's so he's real good at that. So I'm a fan of his, but I don't know him. Yeah, he he seems like he's you you can tell he's genuine. He's born and raised up there, and you know yeah. Mark and Digger too. But you you can tell that you know Mark Rogers has has spent more time in the woods than he has on a wooden floor. Yeah, but as I was gonna say, he's the woodsiest ones out of, out of all of them in my in my opinion. Yep. So. Yeah. But I tell you, it's funny, you know, my, my wife, she actually got me started watching Moonshiners. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're hilarious. She, she likes watching the crime shows and all that. And I come in one night, she said, you got to watch this. I'm like, what? And it was the, during the first season. I'm like, damn, that's pretty good. And uh, after the, the first season, you know, we started watching the second one. And my daughter was real young. She looked up and said, Daddy. If the police want to catch them so bad, why don't they just watch the show and find out where they're at? So, oh, you're killing me, youngin. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I tell you, hey, I, I, I can answer that question for you. Mm-hmm. The um, Discovery Channel says that anything an agent sees on um, entertainment TV is hearsay evidence. Yeah. They contend that Let's say in my case, because we had we had big talks with them and kind of vetted the situation before I came on the show, and they told us that they go an agent is not going to watch entertainment TV and call a judge for a warrant and tell him he saw a clear liquid dripping in a jar on TV and the comedian said it was moonshine. <laughs> he, he goes, he goes, that's not really how it works. So. So there's that, and I'll tell you something else, and this is what I feel. I feel like our law enforcement, who is always understaffed and under-resourced. My dad was a police officer 32 years in Jackson, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact. Um, They are so under-resourced, and they, in these communities where this is going on, where where we film the show, the... uh, the police there are looking for meth labs and opiates, dude. And those are bad right now. We, and we've talked to them about it. We, you know, we Mark and Dig and them, they're big supporters of law enforcement. And they get it that that people will come through to do a show. Yeah. You know, so I don't think, um, I don't think just the fact that they're doing that show is an issue. If they see you in public with moonshine, they're sworn to uphold the law. Mm-hmm. You know, if you show up in town drunk and showing your ass, that disrespects them. So that's how Mark and Digger, um, they keep it on the down low. Yeah. You know, they, man, they don't, they don't ever sell to somebody they don't know. You wouldn't believe the people, Brad, that ask me if I can get them moonshine from the show. You know, I, it's amazing. Anything, all Mark and Diggers or, or my my stinging honey we did this past year, people already hit me up. Man, I need to get some of that. You know, just, but uh, yeah. that's that's uh, that's how people and why people get in trouble is they are greedy and they are, don't act like professionals and they disrespect and it's all about partying, you know, so... And there's some on the show, I'm sure you've seen, that'll get tore up on the show. Yep. You know, so, and a surprise, surprise, we don't see them, most of them as often anymore, do we? No, we don't. We don't. You know, I, I used to have a buddy that, um, he, he made hot water in, in jugs, 
And uh, he wouldn't sell his hot water to nobody that he didn't know continuously for at least 10 years. Yeah. And say, say I knew I, I knew him, and I could have brought you over and said, man, this, this here's Bees. I've known him forever. And uh, he'd say, what the hell are you talking about? And would never even sell to me again. You know, yep. he, he'd done it for years. Well, so many of the cats out there are hobbyists. Yeah. And uh, seems to be a fun, um, challenging hobby. So, so you know, anyway. Anyway, so that's how we are able to do the show. And, there's, and by the way, there's months and months, several months go by from the time we film the thing till it airs. Yeah. So, well, so we're not that week carrying around 35 gallons of non-taxable spirits. <laughs> <laughs> or hot water. <laughs> or that, or, or or essential oils. Exactly. Well, speaking so, of essential oils, I seen a video a little while ago. I saw somebody named named Killer Bees making some hand sanitizer. How did it turn out? That that was great, man. How did you like that little glass distilling apparatus? Oh, that thing was neat. Is yeah. that cool as I'll get out, that, man? That a friend gave that to me. It says Pyrex on it. Uh-huh. There's no no brand name or anything except on one of the little plastic, I mean, one of the little glass bulbs or tubes. It said Pyrex England uh-huh. is what it says. So I even Googled Pyrex distilling apparatus, or you could just Google glass distilling apparatus, and they sell them online. Yeah, that, that thing is neat. I, I saw that, and I'm like, man, I've got to sit and watch this video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had that little, had did it by candle power. Isn't that neat? That is the neatest thing. And uh, and so I, I used wine. Well, you watch the video for yeah. people who didn't. I used red wine and distilled. I, I used my wife's wine. I distilled the alcohol out of the wine into a little cup and mixed it with uh, aloe vera and some little essential oils and made hand sanitizer. And it was really neat, man. It was a uh, that was a lot of fun, so I would rec- I would recommend that. Yeah, that was fun to do. I may have to give oh, it a shot. Oh, and it's at uh, Killer Bees Comedy, y'all on Facebook, and Killer Bees is B E A Z because we didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah, I need to get me some of that. I, I may may try and make me some. I don't know because we we using a boatload of it right now on ambulance. And, right. Uh, Man, I'm I'm uncovering answers I had on my hand in fourth grade. Yep. Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> what you want to do though, you, you if you're gonna make some for the ambulance, you need a, a little bit smaller distilling device. I mean, larger distilling device than mm. what I used. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm thinking about doing it. That that was pretty cool. That and, and I like that T-shirt that was hanging in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the BNF. Yep. <laughs> That's a funny T-shirt. Man. Oh, yeah. I, I, I talked to Bruce Valanche yesterday. You ever seen some of his T-shirts? I have not. I don't know Bruce, I don't think. Oh, man, he, he's been on Hollywood Squares. He's written for everybody. He's But he's famous for the different T-shirts he wears. He's, Lord of mercy, you just going to have to Google him and look at some of these shirts. They're Brand. ridiculous. Yeah, 
Yep, Valanche, V-A-L-A-N-C-H-E. Oh, oh, Valanche, okay, gotcha. Yep, but Lord of mercy. Yeah, I'm sitting here wearing a homemade JJ t-shirt from Good Times I made. <laughs> we'll see. But it must be nice to have talent. Oh, no, I just got a printer. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, there's that. <laughs> I don't know how much talent. Push but button. Yeah, exactly. I, I downloaded a picture and bought me some little iron-on things. And bloop, but I did iron it on myself. Oh, see? That's being brave. Exactly. I'm fancy That's like that. That's facing certain death. <laughs> That's, that's putting your body on the line for the rest of us. Hey, the great ones okay. dig deep. Hero. That's right, dude. You have set the bar high. <laughs> now, you when we watch, next time you wear it, something will go down and you'll get it stained and ruined. Mm-hmm. Just because we plugged it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I've, I've done, done a little bit of reading and everything here. I learned to read. I'm, I read on a second grade level, but I can read. <laughs> I read in crayon. I'm really good at reading in crayon. And I, I saw where where somebody named named Truck Beasley used to be on the ambulance. That's right, man. I did. I I ran nine one one police calls in Jackson, Mississippi, in an ambulance for three years. Mm-hmm. I was the I, I got that gig when I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, I was the youngest person in the state of Mississippi to ever do that gig. So, so every other night and every other weekend uh, for three years, and I would often get to uh, school late, you know, because when there's an active call, you got to go do the call. Yeah. And um, and I would get to school late. They waived the tardy rule because they knew what I was doing. And uh, my teachers would have me come up in front of the class, Brad, and tell the um, my classmates why I was late, which was two blessings in one. One, it got me in front of people talking. Mm-hmm. And two, it got me in front of people talking and verbalizing what the cause had been and what I'd been through the night before. Mm-hmm. So I got used to talking to people, and I got all that um, night's worth of, of work off my chest. So that, so that was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, you know, May 30th will be 30 years doing that for me. Yes, we do. Hey, that's, the business is a lot different. You guys are so much more advanced than what we were. Oh, man, just from when I started to things we're doing now, it's like, man. I mean, we, we got a thing called a, um, Lucas. If we're doing CPR, we don't have to put hands on you anymore. We put this thing on you, mash a button, and it does our compressions for us. Oh, see? Yeah. Um, Dude, it, Rick, people who have never done that gig have no idea how much you bust your ass trying to do CPR in the back of a speeding ambulance. It's, it's rough. <laughs> Bouncing around on the road. Oh, and by the way, by the way, um, they still, the ambulance industry, it's my understanding, you can help me out on this, uh, still doesn't have an adequate, an adequate way to uh, tether or restrain the, the, uh, technician in back do they when they're working on a patient technically we're supposed to wear our seat belts but everybody knows that i'm not gonna have my big old fat tail in a, in a seat and be able to do anything i've been right, in, i've been right. in five wrecks and it ain't no fun right so they're still looking for somebody to invent a, a safety restraining device that will elight with that will allow um the person in back to work on the patient 
and move around. So, and I don't know how they, I don't know how they solve, how they solve that, but that's a, a greatly needed thing. You ain't kidding. So, and man, that is so cool that you do that work. That is awesome. Yes, uh, we were a meat wagon way back in the day. We oh, were, we, and it we was so long are. ago when I did it. That's back when they'd say, well, put butter on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sir, your arm got ripped off. Well, here's some butter. Let's put, 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 put the whole stick on that. When we first moved up here to Fayetteville, I actually got out of medicine. I was out of medicine for a little while because I had some strokes. And uh, wow. I, I cooked at a, a restaurant over in Sonoya, um, Nick and Norman's, the guys from The Walking Dead on it. And uh, okay. we, we had one of the girls got her hand burned pretty good. And I looked up and she had saran wrap covering mustard covering the burn. I, I walked over there, pulled that off her hand. She said, what are you doing? I said, get that shit off your hand. She's like, no, the cook told me to. I said, well, the paramedics tell you to get that shit off your hand. It ain't doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, man, it, it cracks me up some of the things people will do. I mean, you know, we was talking about the meth a while ago. Son, it's bad. That stuff is so bad right now. It's everywhere, and it's killing people. It's just, man. Man. Oh, Lord of mercy. We're going to get some more funny stuff, because I, I dug a little bit deeper, too, and I saw a thing. It, it just said completed. It didn't say it had been released. Bo and the Alabama Bigfoot. What can you tell me? Oh, oh, that's on, that's on Amazon Prime. Oh, I'll be watching that as soon as we're done. Bo McGraw and the Legend of the Alabama Bigfoot. I play a cryptozoologist in that in that one. I, I just say it's a small role. I'm not the star of it. Um, I, it it's a Bigfoot Bigfoot movie, and mm. it is it's not a low budget movie. It's a micro budget nice. <laughs> movie. So pretty much, somebody had their phone and said, "Let's do this." Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and so, and so, was it pay? Um, you want the rest of this beer? <laughs> sure. That's back when you could share beer. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was, it's uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Bo McGraw and the Legend of the Alabama Bigfoot. I'll be watching so, that this afternoon. I'm, I'm the old grizzled guy, scientist guy that teaches Bo McGraw how to hunt for Bigfoot. I tell you, I watched so, one one not too long ago. You, you remember Bobcat Goldplay? Do you, you remember old Bobcat Goldthwaite, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did one called Willow Creek. And I thought was that, was this that is, a Bigfoot one? Yeah, I thought this oh, is yeah. going to be funny. No, ain't a damn thing funny about that movie. It's oh, a, really? It's a found was it footage. Good movie? It was really good. It's kind of a found footage thing. Uh -huh. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Man, I mean, it's, it's on Prime right now. It's Man, it's a good movie. I'll look that one up. But now going out in the woods and all, the, first off, do you believe in Bigfoot? I'm gonna have to say nah. Oh. No, uh, nope. I, I believe it. I don't, I don't think there's ten million of them, and I don't think it comes from aliens or nothing like that. There's something out there, gotta be. There's too many people and too way far back, but <laughs> I ain't never seen one. But, uh, well, they just—they're not finding the evidence I want to hear. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. But I still believe. I'm one of them weird well, people. If I, well, if you find one, I want you to <laughs> send me a picture and go, told you. If, if I find one, I'm going to sell it the way y'all going to be rich. How's that sound? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll get you the big thing. glass distillery. What if you could grow a herd of them? <laughs> oh, man. 
I wonder how Bigfoot meat would taste. That might be the next brisket. Who knows? I think it'd be creepy. I think any bipedal animal that you eat would be creepy to eat. Yeah, you got a point there. We had to de-evolve them where to go down on all fours. That'd, that'd make that brisket stronger too, a little bit more lean. <laughs> See, <laughs> now you now you got it. <laughs> oh man, but no, I mean you you have done so much cool stuff over your over your career, man. I tell you, and it just it's awesome. I mean, I, I read the story about Skinnerd. Yeah, 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 and had a had a pretty good run getting to hang and do with those guys. Oh, so <laughs> they were a hoot, man. Good grief! And here's what blew me away: they thought that what I do was the bomb. It is. They told me again and again, "Dude, I can't believe you do that." Billy Powell mm-hmm. um, played piano all those years for Skinner. Yeah. Used to make me sit and watch his VHS tapes of himself uh, playing piano and telling jokes. He did, I forget the name of this character he did, and uh, we'd be on the tour bus going somewhere, and Billy would come walking out from the back with his VHS tape going, all right, Killer Bees, I want you to see something. And the whole band just are going, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and it was, bless his heart, it was hilarious. So uh, they were they were really 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 sweet sweethearts to me. So uh, Ed King, who passed away, I guess October before last. Now mm-hmm. um, he and I stayed good friends for uh, uh, up until his passing, and he uh, actually was on Moonshiners with me. Hmm. At the first season, I was on season uh, six. I uh, sold my first episode, my, my first time on, on the show, I sold the largest sale at the time that they'd had on Moonshiners, $30,000. I remember that. Gin that they made up in the mountains to uh, Ed King. And if people don't know Ed's name, he was the lead guitar player in Skinner that uh, co-wrote Sweet Home Alabama with Johnny Van Zandt, Ronnie Van Zandt. And also, when he was a teenager, he co-wrote a song called Incense and Peppermints. I didn't know that one. For for the band Strawberry Alarm Clock. So when he was a teenager, he had a number one hit and was touring internationally. So he was a very, very intense musician and, and performer. But it was so cool to actually get him on Moonshiners with me. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so that's another great memory is, is getting to go and do that with him. Yeah. I'll tell you what, what tickled me about Billy Powell. I didn't, I never knew it till not too long ago is he had actually just been the roadie and, uh, sat down one day and just kind of pooped out the beginning of Freebird on the piano. And everybody's like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Next yeah, thing you know, right. he's, he was, he's man. piano You're player. Absolutely right. He was, he was, he was a roadie in the band. So, uh, so they were they were real good to me, man. They kind of adopted me back in about '91, mm-hmm. something like that. And I did gigs with them. I opened a, a show with them the night before the first ever um, Brickyard 400. Nice. It was a big concert at the um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and so it was me and a guy named Zach Wild. He Played guitar for Ozzy Osbourne for years and years. Yeah, I know Zach's it, music. 
Yeah, yeah Zach, Zach had a band at the time called Pride and Glory. So mm-hmm. it was me, is the order, me, Pride and Glory, Bad Company, 38 Special, Ted Nugent, and Skinner. Holy crap. So so they would take, and they would get me gigs. They, I would, they did get me gig uh, for stupid-ass money to just go up and go, y'all ready to rock and roll? <sighs> Are you ready? We're going to be right back. I'd, I'd do one minute, maybe 30 seconds or something. Walk off stage, go back to the um, uh, backstage area, get a check, and uh, then go sit on side field monitors on the stage and watch the show. Damn. Yeah, yeah, so. Uh, hey, when it, you, it was very cool, man. When you're good people, good things happen. Well, they're good people. I'll have to say that. Yeah. So, um I tell you, you know, I, I did a podcast back um, a couple of months ago. My my brother passed away, and he was he was a hard he was such a hardcore Skinner fan. He would he would still mourn on the day of the plane crash every year up till when he died, yeah. and uh, I mean actively. And he he one that actually got me started listening to Skinner when I was a little kid. He played me the ballad of Curtis Lowe. Okay. Uh, I, I actually started the podcast out with that with that song. I, I was thinking, man, I don't know how to get this copyright thing because I, I, it's just a thirty second clip I wanted to use, and I'm like, man, I can't afford to, you know, license this. And then I found out from a buddy of mine in radios, you can do it under fair use. You have to talk about it, and you can't play the whole thing. And I started out with that, and I ended up with Freebird talking about that one too. And man, I tell you, that <laughs> that one was. I put myself out there in that one because it was just me talking about yeah. him, and it, it went so great. It, it was a well, lot good. of good closure for me. Good deal, man. But yeah, they Skin, Skinner goes deep into my heart. Yeah, they they they're good people, man. You know, so. But I I was really blessed and tickled to get to have that relationship with them for a for for a good while. So I miss them. Bless their hearts, man. Gary's. Rosington's the only one still alive from yeah. Uh, yeah. the original lineup. But um, I did a uh, when I was with Sony Records, we did a song on a on a on a NASCAR album, a compilation song. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ed King and Mike Estes, who was one of the guitar players at the time, along with Gary, wrote a song together and put it on. I can't sing. I just said funny stuff. But Skinnerd was actually my band on this track that I did for uh, Columbia Records. Nice. Sony had Columbia and Epic, I think, at the time. I'm going to have to look so, this thing uh, up. So it's been fun, man. It's been really cool getting to, getting to do neat stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. I tell you, you know, it just, you've lived it, man. You have lived it. And the great thing is you're still doing it. And that's, you're an inspiration to folks because... You know, I've, I've listened to you, like I say, for, forever. And, I mean, everything might not be squeaky clean, but you you don't dig down as deep into the dirt to get funny as most folks do. You know, you, you can be funny and actually be funny. You earn your funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky like that, and I appreciate you saying that too, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I have some adult stuff in the show. There's some risque stuff, but it's not an offensive, nasty show. I don't do that. Yeah. You know, I don't think you have to. You don't. I, I think if I think if you're lucky enough, blessed enough to have the skill that you have a responsibility not to waste it. Yeah, you know, I've I've looked stupid. over over my years and 
when I first started, you know, it was like everybody, just little cheesy jokes here and there, and I got laughs, but then I got to where, okay, well, this guy, he's he's throwing F-bombs out every three seconds. I got to do it every two, and and I got to where it was just kind of, you know, not as many. And a, a good friend of mine, Josh Harris, actually invited me to come on to a show called The South's Funniest Doctors. And I was the only one on the show that wasn't actually a doctor. I, I told him I was a ditch doctor. And uh, I, when we were rehearsing, he, he told me, he said, I need you to write clean as you can. I'm like, That's not a problem. And I, I sat down, and I enjoyed writing clean. It challenged me. And one of my jokes had the word crap in it. And he said, can you please change that one? I'm like, well, this is very clean, but okay. And I had such a good time doing that show. And uh, I'm, I've just figured out after all this time, I ain't got to be nasty. Like I say, I got no, some adult nobody stuff. Nobody ever but... complains. Nobody ever complains that a show wasn't dirty enough as long as it's funny enough. Yeah, exactly. Now, I've always said I'm kind of a combination of Rodney Carrington and Bill Ingball, but I'm, I'm just because if, gotcha. if Bill Ingball cussed like a sailor, that's how I was. <laughs> hey, and we all go through that too. By the way, yeah. you know that's part of the of the process. You're a different comedian at ten years. You're yet a different one at twenty. You're yet a different one at thirty years. So it's all a seasoning and and growing into it. Yeah, but I tell you, and a lot of trial and error. And, Holy and, cow! And I've had so. What did you change the word crap to? Everybody wants to know. I think I changed it to stuff. I can't remember. I can't even remember what the joke <laughs> was. But uh, I, I tell you, you know, one one thing that I've had happen this last year, I hadn't gone on stage a whole lot, but when I'm on stage, it's, this has never happened to me before. I get in my little zone, and I don't hear laughing. I just hear me just, I'm in my little area doing my stuff, but I can feel the energy. But I just don't hear it, and that's that's really strange for me. But it feels good too, because I know I'm giving folks what they want. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. That has the exact opposite effect on me when I don't hear laughing. Well, like I said, I I know they're doing it, and I I can feel the energy of it. It just kind of like going through a tunnel, you know. I don't hear anything but me doing my my stuff. I'm just in that in that they groove. Focus. They yeah. Kind of focus. Yeah, because I've, I've watched the videos afterwards just to make sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, man, either I'm in the zone or I ain't funny at all. And I was in the zone, they laughing. <laughs> but I, I love getting on stage, and right now, you know, like I say, one, we can't, and two, you know, here in Atlanta, I love Atlanta. There's so many places that you can go and do comedy. You can get on stage five times a night here in Atlanta. Yep. But most of it is urban comedy, and that's just not my style. Right. And, and I do yep. good, but I just—it's not my—I'm not comfortable. And because, I mean, it's like playing ten minutes worth of Metallica and then five minutes worth of Hank Williams Senior and then thirty minutes worth of Iron Maiden. You know, one of them don't fit. Yeah. And my my style just didn't in in urban. Yep. Oh, I get it. But. I totally get it. So. But I've, I've started doing it. Yeah, them. it's a, uh, and it's going to be tough getting stage time. There's going to be so many people needing it. And that's something else that I'm kind of dreading with the layoff is uh, the amount of ring rust I'm going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, there are so many little subtleties and teeny little things 
that have to go right, and it's hard to stay sharp when you're not doing it. Because you can't practice unless you're in front of people practicing, you know. It, you can't, like, recite in front of the mirror because you're not under duress. Yeah. Um, you know how it is, man, when you're stressed, your breathing changes, your motor skills um, get weird. And so you've got to be under that kind of duress to practice your act. Otherwise, you're not practicing it. You're just memorizing stuff. And there's a yeah. whole lot of difference between knowing the words and delivering them correctly. Well, I, I can give you a tip on, on rehearsing under under some duress. Eat you a hot wing. <laughs> not, not just okay. a buffalo wing. Get you a good hot, hot wing or two. <laughs> That'll change your act. I, I did, a, yeah, did a show at a place called Uncle Bobby's down in uh, Griffin, Georgia. <laughs> and uh, it was a small place. It's a wing place. And then they got some great wings. But before the show, went up to the to the cook. I said, what's your hottest wing? And he, he told me the one off the menu. I said, no, what's yours? And he said, oh, I'll bring it to you. And he brought it to me while I was on stage. And I did my last, last little part of it while I was eating that wing. I ate that wing and went on ahead and done it. And I, you want to try and be funny? You, you eat a hot, hot wing and try and tell your jokes. Son. But it went, I, I wish I'd have been there for that one. It went good. I, I've got a video. I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, do that, man. Yep. It, it, uh, you you got to work to bring the funny after you've done eating a wing that'll burn you to death. I hear that. <laughs> I hear that, dude. But yep. Man, bees, I've had a ball today. I know you got a bunch of stuff going on. But, um, you know you're welcome back on here anytime. Okay, cool, man. When I get my when I get my next date set for um, when my bookings are back set, I'll holler at you again and maybe I'll come through somewhere where you're at. Yeah. Hey, man, if you're even close, I'll come. That ain't no biggie. And I'll bring ribs or brisket or butt, whatever you want me to bring. Cause you know okay, what? heck yeah. This thing yeah. ain't named smoked meat for no reason. My gosh. Okay, good. Excellent, excellent, yeah. excellent. All right, man. Brad, thank you so much for having me, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right.